Hi, Sally. Good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so uh, for everybody who doesn't know you, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Yes. So um, born in, so originally from Greece, uh, born and raised in Germany and the south of Germany, which is the least Greek place you can find in Germany, <laughs> uh, culturally speaking. And then grew up in a kind of factory worker immigrant family. Um, nobody in my family ever received a high education, and I was determined to keep that family tradition alive. So when I was 17, 18-ish, I dropped out of school, and I started my first business, and I, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. Um, some people ask me, wow, how did you decide to become a serial entrepreneur? I always go, lack of options, right? I, mm. I'm completely... <laughs> Completely unemployable. Nobody would ever give me a job. I have no credentials. So I always had to start a company to then be able to hire myself so I have a job. Um, I did a few small businesses back in Europe. And then in uh, 2007, sold everything I had, bought a one-way ticket to San Francisco because I wanted to build a technology company and I wanted to change the world. Um, so I, I did a few tech companies in the Bay Area. I lived there for 13 years. Uh, I moved to New York uh, last year. And probably most relevant um, to, to the audience is kind of, if there was an entrepreneurial superpower that I have, it, it would be sales. So I've always been involved in creating companies and creating value in whatever way I can through the art of communication, result-driven communication. Uh, and so I ran a big kind of sales consultancy in Silicon Valley and helped lots of lots of startups to figure out their sales process. And in that process, we build a little bit of a sales software. And that sales software is the business I run today. It's called Close. You can find us on close.com. And it's an inside sales CRM that empowers small and medium-sized teams to make more revenue, drive more, drive more closes, and hopefully succeed with their business. And uh, Yeah, I could go on for hours, but that's a, a quick summary of who I am. <laughs> I got it. So, uh, because I'm a huge fan of your YouTube videos, let's talk about sales. So, uh, <laughs> so I think um, everybody who is listening to this would love to hear like your biggest lessons you have learned on sales. So, uh, speak to that, please, Sally. Yeah, I'll give you two. There's too many, but I'll give you two really profound ones. For me, the first, le the first lesson I ever learned around sales was the power of asking questions. So when I was young, I thought that selling was all about talking, right? And I was like, I know how to talk. I can convince people. I can be charming. I can be charismatic, right? I like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> sales is easy, right? I just need you to sit still or stand still for, for a couple of minutes, and I'll, I'll get you convinced to do what I think you should do. Um, <laughs> And then I went to, I, I uh, participated in a, in a sales workshop when I was like 18. And there was one little exercise. There was a group of five people. There was a small exercise where the sales trainer basically wanted us to um, be very dif uh, difficult customers to show us how to manage objections, how to have like mm -hmm. a difficult, uh, difficult customer conversation. So he picked me as the person to do the example with. And he said, all right, Steli, you pretend to be the most difficult customer you can think of, and I will be the salesperson. And I was like, all right, that's fucking easy. I can be an asshole, <laughs> right? And he's like, okay, so here's my pitch. Here's what I'm doing. Dear customer, what, you know, what, how do you feel about this? What could be good or bad about this? And I'm like, the first objection that I had in mind, I was crystal clear on. I was like, you know what? You're an expert in this area, but I have no fucking idea about this area. Everything you told me sounds good, but tomorrow there's going to be a competitor of yours showing up here, and that person's going to say the exact fucking opposite, and everything that person will say will sound totally good to me. Like, I don't know if what you said is true or not, and he was like, wow, he's just writing it down. That's a very, very, very valid point. He's just write, <laughs> write it down, and I'm like super proud of myself. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty awesome, and then he looks up to me, and he goes, any other concerns or objections? And in that moment, I remember my inner dialogue. I was like, oh, shit, I didn't think about another one. What else could be? Say something smart. What could be another objection? And I said something. I don't even remember. Oh, da, 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 da. And he's like writing it down. Oh, very, very valid. Cool. Any other things that are of concern or could be a problem to us working together? And I remember the third time I actually started sweating. Like I was like, ah, uh, shit. And I'm like feeling this pressure. Everybody looks at me and I need to like be, I don't know, smart or something. 
So I don't know. I said something really dumb and he wrote it down. And then when he asked me the fourth time, I was like, uh, no, I can't think of anything else. He's like, great. All right, so we have four things. Of those four things, which one is the biggest concern for you? And I was like, well, clearly the first one. It's like, all right, cool. So how would you solve this concern? How can we address this? And again, I remember when he asked me, I'm going, how, how do we address this? Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> Say something smart. Say something smart. And I tell him, well, you know, what I could do is I could invite you and all the competitors of yours, and then you fight it out in fucking front of me, and whoever wins that argument, that's who I'm going to go with. He's like, he starts laughing, and he's like, wow, that's a really cool solution. Any other way we could solve this? And again, I'm like, what? <laughs> Shit. Why do I have to come up with another way? I'm like, oh, my God. And I don't know what I said. So he, he, he does this whole spiel with me, and at yeah. the end, He's like, well, I'm like, no, the best way would be for, for all of you to come together and argue it out. And he's like, okay, if we do that and I win that argument, we'll, we'll, will we be in business? And I said, yes. It's like, well, all right, let's do that then. In that <laughs> moment, he leans forward, he looks at me and he goes, who had to do all the fucking work? And that moment blew my mind. I was like, fuck me, I had to do all the work. That was the moment I realized that it's not the person who's talking who's influencing and leading the conversations, the person that asked the question, right? Mm. That was a really big mind shift for me. I was like, oh, sales is not about just talking all the time, right? Which is what most people think. Yeah. Oh, if I, just say, if I just say enough positive things about my product, surely some of those positive things will be appealing and they'll buy. Nothing could be further from the truth. So that, that made me realize the power of asking questions, the power of actually the other thing that I later discovered of listening, active listening and truly understanding somebody. That was the, the first really big mind-blowing lesson on sales. The second one was much more painful and took much longer for me to learn, which was that to be truly great in sales, you have to be consistent. Hmm. Consistency is just not sexy, right? Consistency is just not what we all want to learn. Yeah. But the, my biggest, the, the one thing that really held me back in life, both in selling as well as in all my entrepreneurial endeavors, was that I was incredibly inconsistent for the first decade of being an entrepreneur and being in sales. I had these amazing weeks where just magic would happen. I would have creative ideas and I would be passionate and I would be bold and make these big bets and negotiate these huge deals and close all the stuff. I'd be like, this is fuck. I'm incredible. Like this is <laughs> high-fiving myself all day long. And then I would have these terrible weeks of just not getting anything done and canceling meetings and calls and being depressed and just basically sitting on my fucking couch, right? All day long. How come? How come? You know what? To me, it always starts with a small moment. One thing that I've discovered about myself is that I'm not a great morning person, right? So typically mm -hmm. in the morning, I'm actually in a slightly groggy, negative mood. When I wake up at first, I'm just like a little bit of a, ah, just hate life. I'm slightly depressed in the morning. It's just the mood that I'm waking up with usually. Mm -hmm. And one thing that would happen to me is that I would take that mood, like I would wake up and not feel that good, and then sometimes I would let that mood kind of take over the day. So what would happen is I would see at 9 a.m. I have a call. And I'd be like, oh, it's 8 a.m. I still have an hour. All right, let's, I don't know, let's watch the news and let's fuck around a little bit. And then I would look <laughs> at the, the time and be like, fuck, it's 8.30. In 30 minutes, I have a call. I'm like, ah, oh, I still haven't showered. It's left to do this, that. I'm like, I really don't feel like having a call right now. And again, I would just check email, fuck around, get distracted. And then be like, fuck, in 10 minutes, I have a call. And then I would make the crucial decision to reschedule the call, right? Mm. It doesn't sound like that big of a deal. Well, well you know, I can, we can, I can email <laughs> that person and just go, something happened, some bullshit lie, right? Oh, you know, something happened, <laughs> happened. Can we please reschedule the call for later this week? And 99% of the time, people would be cool, right? Oh, sure, yeah, let's do the call on Thursday instead, whatever. But so I would send that email and instantly I would feel even worse, right? Because mm. I'm an asshole now, like because I'm not keeping my commitments because I'm a little bitch, right? That's mm. like, uh, I'm canceling. So now what do I do? Now I'm going back to distracting myself from this fact, right? So, um, you know, I'm watching a TV show or whatever, like I'm just 
doing some bullshit. I'm on Amazon buying shit, whatever, like just doing something to distract myself from feeling terrible, which just puts me in a worse and worse mood. And now 10 a.m. is rolling up and I know I have to leave at exactly 10 a.m. to make my next meeting. So now I cancel my meeting. And now basically this is a spiral out of control and I cancel all my fucking calls mm. that day and I don't do anything. And everything that I do like that just makes me feel worse and worse and worse and worse as a human being. So now I'll go to bed feeling terrible that I just fucking wasted the day, created zero value for the world. And what do I wake up with? Even worse mood, right? Mm. So this bad moment in the morning would turn into a bad day, would sometimes turn into a bad week. And one thing that I was always looking for is a solution to this. And I, you know, I bought all the self-help books. I went to all the seminars. I was like, how can I change my mind so I always feel motivated? I'm always pumped. I'm always passionate. I'm always determined. I'm not this shitty version of myself that I am sometimes. And it took me 10 fucking years to realize there is no fucking hack. <laughs> Here's the hack that I've discovered and that changed everything in my life. The hack is... I don't have to feel like doing something to do it. Mm. Actually, a skill yeah. to learn. Bam, the mic is falling down. Yeah. <laughs> drop, mic drop. <laughs> um, it was actually a skill for me to learn that it, it is an inc- it's probably the most valuable skill on earth is to learn how to do things despite the, how the fuck you feel. Like your feelings mm. don't mm. matter. Your feelings don't have a say. towards your commitments. If I committed to do something, my feelings have no seat on the table. They're not part of the committee of like, well, but I don't feel inspired. Who gives a fuck? You said you'll do it, do it. And I've incorporated this internal mantra where I just, when I don't feel like doing something, I'm like, oh, I don't feel like doing this and this and this. I go, um, shut the fuck up and do it anyways. And then I go, well, but I'll do a terrible job. This is the rationalization. Now we have this internal voice that goes, well, I don't feel good. Hence, I'm not going to do a good job at this presentation. Mm-hmm. Hence, mm-hmm. all these good things will not work out to me. And you know what I'm telling myself today when that happens? I go, well, then fucking go and do it badly. But I'm going to fuck it up. Then go and fuck it up. Mm-hmm. You said you'll do it, so you do it. Bad, good, doesn't fucking matter. You go and do. And I learned to overcome, to learn that, you cannot really control how you feel at times. And as a human being, you will have moments you feel bad, depressed, or you just will not have the passion and inspiration to want to do something. But to be truly free, free of being a slave of your own emotions and states, you have to have discipline. You have to have the ability to do things, to keep the word that you to keep your commitments to yourself and to the world independently from your mood swings. And if you learn how to do that, now all of a sudden you take a poor moment. You know, the best days are the days where I really feel shitty and then I still do what I committed to. And then I instantly feel better. I feel especially good because I did something hard because I was like, I really want to cancel this. I really don't want to do it. I really don't want to do it. And then I go and do it. And then I'm like, you know what? Fuck yeah, I'm awesome. Like, I am awesome. I'm not a little bitch that's a victim of my moods. I am in control of my life. I'm the master of this fucking ship. And then I feel great. I want to do the next call. And then I'm like, what else did I want to do the last couple of weeks? Let's fucking go and do the thing I don't want to do. So these bad moments have now helped me turn days into some of the best days I've ever had. And so I, I, I never, no matter how terrible my mood is or my states are, what doesn't happen anymore at all, what I don't allow to happen anymore is these bad moments that turn into bad whole days or bad whole weeks. Now, I'm not going to pretend I've never had like I've never let a bad mood fuck, fuck, you know, two, three hours of my day because I still my worst moments in the entire year might be like almost half a day that I fucked around with and I let my mood control me before I took control. But, you know, it used to be so I had like times where I had like three weeks of this shit going on. Mm. Right. But because I was good enough in one week, like because I had exceptional result in one week and then a couple of shitty results and then it's okay results, net net, I always did pretty well. Mm. To the outside world, I was still crushing it. But you cannot look in the mirror and be okay with yourself when you know you're mm. wasting your potential. So I was never okay with myself. I was never 
you know, in peace with myself. I always, even if I had amazing, I made a ton of money and everybody else admired me and thought I'm doing incredible. I knew I was a piece of shit. I mm. knew I wasn't <laughs> living up to my full potential and I wasn't living up to my word many, many times. And that learning to be consistent, especially in sales with such a mood-based thing, you close a massive deal, you're on top of the world and the biggest deal you've been chasing for a year just tells you no, your soul is crushed. And where every morning the scoreboard is reset to zero, you have to perform every fucking day, no matter how you feel. And your mood actually matters in how you perform because you have to convince other people to do what you mm -hmm. want, to be in contact with people. It's a high energy job. In sales, mastering consistency and discipline, being able to fucking perform your job day in, day out, no matter who you are, no matter how well your quarter went or no matter how poorly your quarter went. That's the highest of skill. That's mastery. And it took me you know, more than a decade to figure that fucking thing out and to get really, really consistent. And so today, I'm considered a sales guru. But one word you'll never hear me say is, I just met an amazing salesperson or I just hired an amazing salesperson. Because I don't fucking know. Like you could be the most charming, charismatic person on earth to me. I'd go, I met somebody really charismatic, but I need to work with you for a year before I make a statement if you're truly great at selling or not. I need to see some shit. I need to see you fucking lose some some uh, deals. I need to see you when you're doing amazing. Are you gonna you know take off the the paddle from the metal? Like I need to know you for a year really well before I say speak the words. This person is great at selling, right? Um, so I've learned that it it takes consistency for true greatness, and this is not just true for sales. This is true for anything. This is also. I found a new admiration for people that are at the top of their game for really long periods of times. Right? It doesn't matter if it's like a Michael Jordan at his peak or Beyonce at her peak. Like seeing somebody being consistent at the very top, the thing mm. that's amazing is not the talent that got them at the top. is that staying at the fucking top with all the bullshit you're dealing with, with all the highs and lows, you have to go – on the court or on stage and be amazing, no matter how you feel. And I guarantee you these people feel and felt terrible, horrible, many, many, many times. Didn't feel like going on fucking stage or going playing basketball right now. Many, many fucking times. But being able to snap into it, right? To have the control to snap into it and perform the highest of levels, that's what I admire. It's not the talent, it's the discipline to keep you at the top. So That's the probably the, the biggest lesson I've ever learned in sales and the one it took me the longest to fucking learn. I was a very slow learner on this. <laughs> so got it steady. So uh, the, the two big takeaways here are basically um, the power of asking questions, right? And consistency. And I also think that the real power behind asking questions is um, you can deal with objections like way, way, way more easily because um, if you are just talking, you're like making up the objections, but um, you don't really know if there are like actual objections that the other person might have. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that also, I think we're not, we're all, we have all learned to speak at some point. But none of us, like how many humans on this planet have ever even spent an hour of learning how to listen? Hmm. Right? Most humans haven't. Like we have not really, and we think listening is hearing sounds. Like, oh, I hear you speak, so I am listening. But that's not really true. Active listening is the art of reaching closer and closer understanding, like matching your intentions with my understanding of what your intentions are. And that's not trivial. That's actually not like given. Just because I can compute your words does not mean I understand what the meaning behind those words mm. are for you. Because my meaning can be completely different. And we usually, we stay very much uh, kind of at the surface level of understanding. We never go really deep. And you can always only go deep if you ask questions and if you truly care about the answers, right? So especially in sales, oftentimes people will go through a checklist of questions Oh, uh, how many employees are you guys? 20 people. Oh, great. And uh, how long have you been in business? Five years. Great. And uh, have you uh, ever tried other software similar to ours? Yeah, we've tried this and that. Great. Well, it sounds like you're a perfect fit and you should buy a software. Yes. <laughs> you don't know shit, right? There's so much context around this. We are 25 employees. Let's just take that as an example. Let's say that you want to sell software to a company that is more than 10 employees, but less than 30. And the person says mm -hmm. 25 and you go, Perfect. This is a fit. Hold on. 25. Awesome. Let me ask you, are all of these people full time? 
or some of them part-time or not. How uh, has the employee growth been over the past? You've been in business for five years. Great examples. Right? Great examples. And yeah. so let's say the person says, you know what? We've been uh, five years for four, five people for four years, but now we're really exploding. We've hired 20 people in the last two months, and we're planning mm. to hire another 250 people in the next three months. This is a completely different customer than if they said, <laughs> oh, we've been 25 people for five years. We'll never be more or less than 25 people. We are a core team. Those are not the same companies, right? But people just ask the question and they go, oh, I understand now. This is a company with 25 people. It fits into our profile of small but not too small, perfect fit. No, a company that's going to grow to 200 people within six months is a completely different organization with totally different software needs than a company that is going to stay 25 for the next decade. And so I think that too often we think, I ask questions. Mm. I do a good job of asking questions. No, you don't because you don't really try to get to understanding what these answers mean and to understand you need to dig deeper and get context get a full picture of what is going on and usually what we do is we ask for three little spots oh you know the top right what is it is it blue green or and then I'm <laughs> at the bottom right what is it is it black okay i get it now it's like no you don't all you know is there is a sky and there's a ground but you have no idea where this person is and what their life is looking like or what the company and their needs looking like. And so I think mm -hmm. learning to ask good questions, learning to dig deeper, learning to actually point out when something doesn't make sense. Sometimes people tell you things so many times that don't compute. They give you two pieces of the puzzle. You try to put them together and you're like, these pieces don't fit, right? So they're like, to us, the most first most important thing is um, speed because we're moving really, really fast. So the software has to really account for that. But the other thing that's the most important for us is stability. Nothing can ever break. And you're like, wait a second. Help me understand this. You say that speed is really important because everything is changing all the time. But then you're saying stability as well. I, this is my mistake, I have a hard time understanding these two things. Can you elaborate a little further? Help me out here. How do you m marry those two things? And is one of them maybe slightly more important than the other. Just tell me a bit more about that. Sometimes people say, oh, the most important thing for us is budget doesn't matter, but it needs to be the cheapest product in the market. And you're like, okay, help me, <laughs> right? Because these things don't make sense. Again, most sales reps, they will not dig deeper. They will just go, huh, these two things don't make sense. Well, let me keep asking questions about yeah. the other, right? And so questions to me are the, the key that unlocks every any and every door if you do it right. Um, and it's definitely incredibly underutilized in human interaction communication sales is nothing else than result-driven communication so you need to get really really good at asking questions yeah and this might sound cheesy but um i also think that people can really sense it if you're just asking questions um to make a sale so if you're like okay what are your revenue numbers how big is your team and <laughs> you go this like three or four things um checklist done 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 and and i think they can really sense it if you are trying to solve their problem and um trying to to really make sure that okay they are a fit and um that you are like like really uh, that you can really help them and um if you are just trying to sell them something i think uh, they can also sense it so i totally agree i think we all our our internal compass mm -hmm. our intuitions are so much more refined computers than our logic. So I might not be able to articulate why I don't trust you or why I didn't feel like you cared. But my intuition, the little box is going to compute everything, your tonality, your body language, you know, every little thing, you know, how you act at the speed of the conversation, all that, and then will give me an intuition, a feeling, a, a sensation that tells me, yeah, the call was fine, but I'm not sure if I trust this person, mm. right? Versus with other people, and, and think about this, how rare is it to talk to somebody and go, holy fucking shit, this person really cared. Like this person yeah. is really interested, right? Really interested in knowing who I am and why I'm thinking what I'm thinking, why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's very rare to meet yeah. somebody. I can count them on, on one hand in the past like months. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why? Because most of us are busy with our fucking selves, right? So when we meet other people, all we care about is to tell them the things that are in our world and then to 
pause while they talk while wondering when I can get to again to my shit and then I just talk when you're done and then I'm like okay this person isn't helping me with what I want in life let me get to the next person and do the same fucking thing again so when you meet somebody that's truly interested it stands out because it's it's rare and that's the beauty of sales or you know the beauty in many things is that it doesn't matter how crowded your field is or how competitive the world is becoming if you master the fundamentals, the timeless truths that will always be important, um, the more competition, the noisier the world, the stronger your signal gets, right? The more you stand out. If I, I could talk to 10,000 people at a networking event. If everybody has the same kind of cadence, oh, how many people are you? Uh, do you have a lot of money? Uh, this, okay, cool. Nice <laughs> meeting you. Here's my business card. Let me get to the next person. And then you're the person that goes, oh, slow down. Tell me more about this. How does this work? Why do you guys do this? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go, ooh, finally somebody who cares. Somebody, Finally mm-hmm. somebody who listens. And you will stand out to me. I will remember you. And so you learn these little things and you act a little differently and it will pay big dividends and big returns because nobody else is fucking doing it. Mm. So uh, I also want to talk with you about uh, code emailing and follow-up and so on and so forth. But um, before we talk about that, like you have to share with our listeners a few more like sales principles. Like talk about those uh, timeless principles and yeah, grandmaster uh, sales technique, so to speak. And maybe you could also share with us um, your most controversial opinions on sales. Like maybe a few things that you might be doing that nobody else is doing. So or, or like maybe. Only a few people, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, a that's big, a good question. broad question, but um, yeah, yeah, um, I don't know, man. I, I don't think like if you, my advice, I feel like is always um, sounds all most of the advice that I give is pretty obvious stuff, mm-hmm. right? But again, I'm looking for like if you came to me to ask me for how to lose weight, I would be like, well, just eat broccoli and work out, motherfucker. Just do, just put. <laughs> green stuff in your body and move it, right? It's not that complicated. But the problem is that the reason there's a million uh, diet books out there and there's a million fitness routines and there's pills and surgery and all kinds of a whole multi-billion dollar industry around this is that I don't like broccoli and I don't want to sweat. This is to me the, the problem, the fundamental problem to all our issues. I have a sister-in-law we, uh, that, that wanted to lose some weight, and we went to the gym together a while back. And we're on the elliptical, and within five minutes, she's like, all right, I'm done. Uh, let's get a shake, and let's get home. And <laughs> at first, at first, I wasn't quite sure if this is a joke or not. So I'm like, really? Like, we just, I mean, we're just getting started. And she's like, yeah, but I started to sweat. And, and I went, okay. Yeah, why is that a good bad? sign? Yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of why we're here. Like, that's that's a good thing. The, your body's telling you, you it's working. That's good. And she's like, no, 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 no. I hate fucking sweating. I cannot sweat. Yeah. And now it's fun. It's easy to make fun of her, but to me, anything we as humans want and cannot get, that's the answer. It's like mm-hmm. we're sitting around and we're going. I want to lose weight without the sweating part. Yeah. And so when people come to me and they go, Steli, I have this problem and I don't know the solution 99% of the time. It's not that you don't know the solution. You know the solution. You just don't like the solution. So when you're saying, I don't know what to do, what we're really saying is, I don't know what to do that I want to do. Mm. I don't know a convenient solution to my problem. Like our problems usually are not that complicated and the solutions to them are not that complicated. It's just that we don't like the solutions. Most of the solutions to our problems require us to change or do hard work. And we don't want these fucking things. So we're looking for the pill. Can can I just have, can I eat just burgers all day, be on the couch and eat a magical pill and like look amazing? Because that's truly what I'm looking for. Mm. To me, the answer to that question is no. Right, you can't. Um, and so the the things that I that I try to master are the things like I always ask myself: Is this skill something that was valuable ten years ago, fifty years ago, a hundred years ago? Mm-hmm. Because if it's if the answer to that is yes, very likely 
it will be true and still valuable 10, 50, and 100 years from now, right? Mm. So being an effective communicator is very, very valuable, has always been very valuable as long as humans have been around and will be valuable up until the point where computers take over and run the world, right? As long as humans have a say, communicating, negotiating, and influencing each other is going to be an incredibly valuable tool, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to master that. Their discipline is another one. That's one of those skills, like being the master of your own mind, your own body, your own soul, influencing yourself, right? We all want to influence others, but can't take control of our fucking lives. I can't get my, mm. fucking, you know, uh, clean my room, but I want to change the world and build a movement that will change. Like, motherfucker, just clean your fucking room first. Well, but I don't feel like it. Well, if you cannot convince yourself to do shit, then you can't convince anybody else, right? Just give yeah. the discipline to do it yourself. To me, in, in selling, sales is not that that complicated. Honestly, it just requires incredible discipline and, and emotional strength, right? You need to be able to deal with rejection, which means you need to be asking for things that are past the point of safe, right? Mm. Um, if you only ask for deals that you know 100% are going to happen, and then you're like, oh, I have a, if somebody tells me I have a 100% closing rate, I'm just thinking, you suck at what you do, right? You're probably pretty worthless because you're going after deals that are so safe mm. that there is no value that you create through your creativity, your hard work, your passion. You're not really adding any value to this. When salespeople complain to me that selling in their world is too difficult, I always go, well, thank God, otherwise you would be useless, right? <laughs> if, if the product was perfect, and if the product onboarded itself perfectly, if the product always had all the features and had everything everybody wants, and if the product had an amazing brand that everybody admires, why the fuck do we need you, right? Mm. The product can just sell, sell itself. You exist because there's other products that compete with us because our product lacks some features, because we have some bugs, because our brand ha has a little bit of a, of a stain on it, because customers have a difficult time making a decision and they're changing their minds. Like all the difficulty is your opportunity to create value in the world, right? So difficulty, Great don't complain mindset. about, right? So don't complain about things being difficult, just get better, right? Just focus on getting better than complaining about things Powerful. being right? So learning to show up, which means making contact, right? Doesn't matter if I go to somebody in person and shake their hand. Doesn't matter if I knock on somebody's door. Doesn't matter if I call somebody, send an email, tweet at somebody, whatever it is. It's the reaching out to connect between two people so a conversation can start and eventually a conversion can, uh, can uh, appear. That's always the first step in selling. You have to show up first in one way or another. And you have to do it again and again and again and again for your entire life. Once you show it up, there's a human connection. Now you have to follow up and follow through. Right. You have to you can't just assume that just because we started a relationship and a conversation and a dialogue that now things will be equal. You will always have to champion and own responsibility for the relationship to make sure that it continues and it moves forward and progresses to some logical conclusion. Yes or no. Right. Mm -hmm. But you have to own the follow up and follow through. This is a piece that no salesperson wants to do. Right? Everybody wants to drop out here. This is a race you run alone. People want to show up. Everybody competes with you on the show up, on the calling, emailing, reaching out, saying hello. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the difficult part of like then following up again and again and following through and making sure the relationship progresses, that's the hard, unsexy work most salespeople don't want to do. If you do it, you'll run a race on your own and you will win. And then the last mm -hmm. step is really just the close, right? And closing really is not that difficult. People ask me all the time, what are your secrets, Steli, to closing? What is the magical words that you can say to get everybody to sign contracts? I don't fucking know, right? <laughs> to me, the philosophy on closing is you do it early, you do it often. It's not a one-time mm. event. It's not some kind of a like, you know, you know why most salespeople struggle with closing is because they want to wait till it's safe to ask. Yeah. When, when there's a perfect moment, right? Yeah. When there's a perfect moment. <laughs> there's no fucking perfect moment, moment. You ask, are you ready to buy? And you can ask very early. You know, when I ask, I ask if, if the only answer possible is yes, but then when you say no, which is what most of you will do, like eight out of 10 times when I ask, somebody's going to say no. When they say no, I embrace that no, mm -hmm. right? I'm not deflated. I'm not like waiting, waiting, waiting and going, I'm sure now I'm going to get a yes. And then you want to buy and then you go, I'm not sure yet. And I go, oh, 
another one that doesn't want to buy. Life is too difficult. Why does this suck? This is not a useful interaction. I ask you, hey, are you ready to buy? You go, wait a second. You didn't even say hello. I've never seen your product. Like, I'm not ready to buy. And I go, well, you seem pretty determining and clear. I'll get back to that question at the end of our call. Don't, don't worry. I just mm. wanted to check in. Nothing has happened. I ask you, hey, do you want to buy? Are you ready to buy? You go, no. And I go, ooh, interesting. Tell me, what is missing? What is missing? Yeah. <laughs> what is missing? Because we had three conversations. Everything I've learned <laughs> made me believe this is a perfect fit. So I obviously, I missed something. Yeah. Right? Help me out here. What am I missing? What will we need to do to get you to buy? And no matter what they say, like I always honor the no because the no takes courage. Somebody telling me no, it's a beautiful thing. Like I mm -hmm. actually, in that moment, I'm not saying that I like it. I always don't. I also don't like it. I'm just a human being. Like, ah, no. All right. Let's figure it out. But there's a certain appreciation that I have for people that say no. I go, you know what? You're fucking awesome for telling me the truth, for being brave enough to mm. look me in the eye and go, no, motherfucker, I'm not buying. Because right? because I think it's also hard to say no. Like, yeah. for instance, I think that most people really hate it when they turn somebody down. Like, I, for instance, don't like it. So I don't like it either. You know why? Because no has only risk. It has no reward mm -hmm. usually. When you tell somebody no, what's most likely going to happen? Either they're going to get defeated. Oh, I feel so bad. Now you have to deal with this shit. I made this person yeah. feel really bad. That sucks. They'll get very angry. Why no? You, I thought we already had three calls. That sucks. They're going to go, I'm going to change your mind. No matter what you say, yeah, I'm going to make the yes. And you're like, ah, oh, fuck, that sucks. There's only risk. Where's mm -hmm. the reward? What do I get from being honest to you? Not really anything. So, hence why we don't like saying no, because people cannot deal with it. And we don't want to deal with people that cannot deal with the situation, right? That sucks. Mm -hmm. Hence, again, here's, a mo here's an opportunity to stand out. The way you respond to somebody's no can make all the difference in the world. When somebody, an important buyer, looks at me and goes, no, we're not going to buy. And I go, ooh, tell me more. What is missing? What did I miss? This is not a typical reaction they get. What does that tell them about me? Instantly, subconsciously, it tells them this person is not like everybody else. Mm. This person seems more confident and more comfortable than 99% of other salespeople I talk to. So when I t tell this person, no, this person doesn't care. It's just curious. Huh, tell me more. I want to understand this better. This is the type of person I want to do business with, the type of winner that I cannot crush with a no because that person is probably so successful it doesn't really matter that much. Mm. That is what you're saying without saying any of it, right? Without saying any of it. And then because you know how to deal with the no, you allow them to be honest with you. They go, you know what? I do think your product sucks at A, B, and C. And I saw a product I like better. And you go, wow, I really appreciate the honesty. That's incredible. Let's talk about A, B, and C. What about it sucks? Why exactly? Let me understand this better. And then either you go, you know what? You're actually on A, B, and C. On C, you're completely correct. There's nothing I can do about it. We suck at this. And you know what? There's no way in the next 12 months we're going to improve C. It's not on the roadmap. So if it's absolutely crucial, we're already out of the game. When it comes to A and B, I think I didn't show you all the information. I actually disagree with you. So let me actually add some give you all the information you need to make a right decision. And I know the competitor really well, and what you might not know about AB with them is what they hide is that A works this way and B costs that, mm. right? So now you have all the information. Now you tell me, if A and B is more important to you than C, I think you should go with us. If C is more important than A and B, you should go with them. What is it? I love See? this. <laughs> See? Now, how much credibility do I have? How much does this person go? Yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot. Because right. you're oh, honest. You're not like saying I'm the best and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, and and I show you I can deal with this. Like mm -hmm. I'm not getting defensive. I'm not getting angry. I'm not getting mm -hmm. deflated. I'm not getting weird. You tell me no. And like an adult, I went, awesome. Let's figure it out like adults. Tell me ABC, ABC, here's the information. You make the judgment call, right? Mm -hmm. That the, the willingness to lose the deal, the willingness to be honest, the ability to deal with rejection and with pushback is suggesting to the person, here is a winner. Here's somebody mm -hmm. that knows how to deal with situations. We all, we all 
want to have more winners in our lives. We all want to work with more people that know what the fuck they're doing because none of us know what the fuck we're doing. So we're all looking for those, like, who are these people? We all need more of that in our lives. So when you find somebody like that, as a human being, you cannot but be attracted to it. You cannot mm-hmm. but being like, I want to be in business with this person. Yeah. And so, and that's what it is. And even if you lose a deal, you know how many times I tell people, you shouldn't buy our product. Like, you should go with X. This is better for you. And sometimes people start arguing with me. But I want to buy your product. I'm like, all right, it's cool. But I really honestly believe this is a better tool for you. And then they go buy anyways. Right? They'll mm. argue. <laughs> Why? Because yeah. they're like, I want to fucking be a customer of this type of company and this type of person. Mm. Right? Mm. And even if they don't buy, even if they go, you know what? C is more important to me. I'll go with them. I really appreciate the honesty. They'll never fucking forget you. They'll recommend your product and your company to friends. They're like, oh, what do you need? A and B? Oh, you need to go to Steli. You need to go to Mm. these guys, right? And they'll feel strong about that recommendation. And in a year's time or so, when something changes, they will want to be in business with you. We won't forget these moments because they're so rare. Everybody is acting like this. So when you act like that, when you act opposite to the crowd, you stand out and you are memorable. And people are like, this is the type of person I want to be in business with. This person was honest. This person was uh, had integrity and this person had clarity and confidence. Like this person is going to fucking go places. The company is going places and I want to buy and be in business with the people that succeed in life. It's just natural. Yeah. And I totally agree with everything that you're saying because I really think that, um, a lot of people, like you said, or like you've mentioned, they, are like having a bad reaction when somebody turns them down, like they're like, oh yeah, why not? And, or they get angry or frustrated and uh, people hate it when somebody gets angry or frustrated or what have you. So, uh, yeah, but, um, steady because we're a, a bit running out of time, I would really love to hear, like, um, give us your principles on code email and yeah. B2B sales, um, yeah. I'll, Could you please yeah. speak to that? Yeah, I'll give you a quick rundown. If for everybody that wants more, I have like cold email templates, a whole book I've written about cold email, sales calls, all my stuff. I have 10 books. You can get all of them for free. Just send me an email, steli at close.com, bundle motherfucker, and you'll get a link with all my books and all my material for free just for your listeners. So when it comes to cold awesome. email, this – the principles that I apply there, again, they they can be applied to calls, to meetings, to a bunch of other stuff. You need to think about the customer journey. You need to think about the experience you're generating for the potential customer. You can't be selfish. Here's what I want. I want to pitch you on buying my product for this price, and I want to reach as many people in this area. Like, okay, that's what I want. What do you want? What does your inbox look like? Mm-hmm. How do I get your attention, and how do I deserve your attention? Mm-hmm. So, the very first thing that you need to optimize is the subject line because if I don't read your subject line and decide to open your email, it does not fucking matter what you write in that email. Most people, they will spend 80% of the time writing the content of the email and just 20% of the time writing the subject line. It should be the other way around, right? Because the subject line is the most important thing. If that's not great, everything else doesn't matter. Like you do a cold email, you might just have a, an open rate of 15%. That means that, you know, 85% of people that you send the email don't even know it exists. Mm. So what does it matter what you write in there? So when it comes to subject lines, you want to write human. It needs to sound like one human writes to another human. It can't just sound like an ad. Mm. It needs to be curiosity raising. So I need to go, oh, I want to know more without being deceiving, right? People ask me all the time, what's the best cold email hack? And I have lots of stories, but I'll tell you right now, if you wrote in a subject line, I have your parents in my basement with a gun at their head. You would get a lot of opens. People would open that email that don't have parents anymore that are alive, yeah. right? Just to go like, what the fuck is this? But just because you get me to open the email doesn't matter. doesn't mean that I trust you now. I want to do business with mm. you, right? Uh, and I, I've had this before where people do a little bit of a trickety hack in the subject line. Then when I open it, they go, ha ha, this was a little bit of a hack, but I got your attention. Now that I have it, let me tell you. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you now that you have it, right? <laughs> if our relationship starts with you lying to me, yeah. I don't need you in my life. I don't need people that lie to me in my life and hack trick me into doing things. <laughs> fuck you, right? So 
you want to do something that is both like whatever your subject line promises, the email has to deliver. But you can still play with it, right? So one thing that I've taught and now people do way too much, my inbox is full of these emails, is quick question with question mark, right? Mm. Now, by the way, I'm always using it and it works like a charm, like really, good. like, yeah. It's, it's very engaging, right? Mm. Uh, it's very short. And if you then have a question and if it's quick and not like five pages. By the way, I, I'm sure I've used it to get you on the show. <laughs> Could be. You know what else you use that I want to highlight and, and uh, honor for your listeners? <laughs> you use the fucking follow up and follow through. It was yeah. not <laughs> easy for you to get this. Uh, and I really admire and appreciate that. Like, I, you know, I'm a difficult customer. I'm doing like six of these podcast interviews today. And so I'm always traveling. There's always so much going on. And you were like always friendly and persistent, not giving a fuck. Just keep following up <laughs> how difficult I was. And eventually you got it and you deserved it. Right. So um, so you want to write something that's engaging, that, that that captures my attention. I have a lot more about the subject lines in the, the ebooks that people can get. Um, and then you want to. In the email, just go through a logical pace. The very first question I have is, who the fuck are you and what do you want from me? So you have to answer these questions. Here's mm -hmm. who I am. Here's why I'm reaching out to you today, right? This is who I am and my background, and this is why I thought I should send you this email. Then once I understand who you are and what you do and why you wanted to get in touch with me, now I'm like, can I trust any of this? So usually you want to give me some reasons for credibility. You're like, here's who I am, why I'm reaching out to you, and what I have to offer. Here's the proof that I can do shit, right? And this could be either, you know, certain customers could be whatever it is, press, funding, big customers, results, anything that will create credibility, anything that will make me go, oh, really? This guy yeah. has done this? This guy is working with these? Huh. And then you want to give me a simple call to action. Here's the one little thing that I need from you. Could be hit reply and tell me X. Could be decide between these two dates, 15-minute call. Could be click this link and read this article. Whatever it is, it can just be one call to action. Because when I read your email, at the end, my number one question is, what do I need to do about this right mm. now? And if you either give me no call to action or give me a way too open-ended call to action, or the worst of all, you give me 10 calls to actions, mm. you will get nothing, right? Oh, here's the what I'd like you to do. Uh, download these three white papers, click this video introduction, um, click my calendar link and find a time on my calendar for us to speak, as well as uh, watch these three videos of keynotes <laughs> and this one. No, motherfucker, I don't even know you. I don't have like the, ne the rest of the week to spend doing your homework. This is... This is You don't have the credibility, the social credit to come to me with a million fucking homework assignments. Mm. One thing, and that thing better be fucking easy for me to do. I better have to think very little to do this, right? If you ask me something very difficult, I can't do it, right? I'm, mm. I'm probably going to either go, I don't want to do it. I'm going to go, uh, how should I do it? Uh, I don't know. I'll do it later. And later means never, right? Mm. So... You want to think through what is somebody thinking that is receiving this email? What are their what is their first question? What is their second question? And here's a, a bonus tip before we wrap this up. Sometimes you know that everybody you're emailing has one big problem or objection, right? Mm. Um, I I get email. I run a tech company, so every day I get emailed. I don't know, 30 times by some like outsourced developer shop that wants to offer me engineers uh, for rent, right? We don't outsource coding right we have like an in-house team we don't do that so every day i get these emails from all around the fucking world I ignore and delete all of this i got an email a couple of months ago where the the, the person started with stelly you're a fucking tech ceo so that means you're getting hundreds of uh outsourced dev shops to email you and offer you their engineering resources just like we did before you delete this email just read on for three more sentences please <laughs> right To me, when I read this, I was like, all right, motherfucker, fair enough. Let me keep reading. Right, I'll give you three more sentences. That's fair. The reason why I appreciated that and why I kept reading is because he displayed a level of empathy and a level of understanding. There's one problem I have. Every time I see an email from a dev shop, I just go delete. So mm -hmm. instead of him complaining, everybody deletes, all these shitty companies in my market makes it harder. He embraced the truth and just put it in the email. He knows what everybody's thinking when they get their email. So he just made it part of the email. Right. Mm. Instead of running away from it, you make it part of it. Right. You embrace it. 
So just think about who the person is you're emailing, what their day looks like, what their inbox looks like, what the questions are that they are asking themselves when they read an email and how they make a decision what to do about it and be empathetic, like design an email that addresses these things. Don't be lazy and just send an email. I'm John. Uh, we at John Enterprises like to do business and I have a proposition that might be of interest to you. Please click here and schedule a four hour call with me so I can talk to you about the latest stuff about John Corporation. Motherfucker, you are not the center of my universe. I don't care about <laughs> John Corporation. I don't even know what you guys do and I'm not going to give you four hours of my time to find out, right? Delete. So don't do that. Just be a bit smart about it. And that, that, this thinking about the experience the prospect has, the customer mm. has, the way they think, the questions they have as you speak and addressing them can create a design where the customer feels like, wow, this person is really good. You know why I think this person is really good? Because he or she addresses my answers as they come up. Like intuitively, I just go, oh, and, huh, but how do they do this? And then, well, how we do this is blah, blah. I don't even have to say it. You're answering the right questions at the right time will make me feel like, wow, this is good. Right. So try to th put yourself in the shoes of your prospects and customers mm. right, you know, according to that. And you'll have amazing results. Awesome. So, uh, Stanley, could you please tell everybody um, where can they connect with you on the social apps and so on and so forth? And um, at the end, I always ask five very, very quick and short questions to every guest of mine. But um, yeah. Awesome. Let's do it. So uh, if you want to uh, email me, you can always get in touch personally. Stanley at close.com. You can find me at Stelly on Twitter. Um, and then if you like podcasts, I have a podcast with a great friend of mine, Heaton Shah. You can go to thestartupchat.com to find, we've done over 450 episodes um, and we do release, I think, two quick ones every single week. You can find us on iTunes and everywhere else to, to check it out. So um, yeah, that's the best way to get in touch with me. Got it. So the first out of the five question is, um, what are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life? Yeah, there's too many to count. I'll give you one instead of three. Um, mm -hmm. And this is one that's a, a rare uh, rare recommendation. Wherever you go, there you are. Um, it's a book by John Kabat-Zinn. Uh, it's a meditation book, but it's actually very, it's a very short book, and it's written in very short, like two or three page chapters. Mm -hmm. And it's probably one of the most powerful books I've ever uh, read about mindfulness. And it's just a beautiful read. It's very easy to read. It's not like, It's not like pie in the sky. It's very, the guy has like a, he's the one responsible for bringing meditation to the um, clinical world in the US. He's built a research center in MIT. He's done a lot. And he's kind of the perfect blend between scientists uh, bringing meditation to science and doing a lot of research around it. But the book is really impactful. And I've reread it many, many times over the past 10 years. So uh, it's definitely the most recommended book that I, uh, that I speak of. Got it. So the second question is, um, what are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most? Yeah, uh, well, when it comes to most influential movies, probably Rocky one. Uh, I'm an 80s baby. So, uh, so all these kind of uh, cheesy action movies were amazing. But Rocky is probably the blueprint in my mind to success. Let's just get punched in the face and never, ever stay down. Um, I love, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I have, you know, movies. I think like Fight Club has been one of my favorite yeah, movies for sure. That, that movie is another movie that I can watch like a million times and every time I'll pick something else out, it puts me in a certain mood. Um, and then I don't know, like uh, like to me, all the Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan, all the like Kung Fu movies of the 80s were like the most influential, formidable movies that I've seen. There's many, many beautiful movies, but I think Fight Club and Rocky are probably like two of my favorites, although they're such different fucking movies. Got it. So uh, the third question is, um, what is the most useful product or service that you have bought in recent memory? Yeah. Um, recent memory. Most mm -hmm. useful product or service? Yeah, good question. I don't know. I think... Um, I think uh, I'll give a shout out that fits to my to the book recommendation. Headspace is definitely an app that I that I really uh, appreciate. It's a, medi a guided meditation app. Um, I love that app. It's really well done, really well produced. A lot of people have a difficult time to completely quietly meditate. It's much more challenging. But if you have like a nice voice and and they have like 
they have beautiful tracks and you can say what you want to work on. Do you want to calm? Do you have clarity? Do you want to deal with some problem in your life? And then there's like these can decide if it's five minute, 10, 15, 20 minute meditations. And you have a voice that guides you through certain practices and certain techniques. And, and I find it super valuable and powerful. So I've recommended it to many people. And I like using it, especially at times where I have a difficult time meditating. I just, this is my easy hack. I just listen to one of these for 10 minutes and, and it uh, brings a lot of value to my life. Got it. So the fourth out of the five question is, um, what is the most important or what are the most important realizations you've had in the last couple of years? And we had some guests who shared something deeply personal about their business, family life, time, relationships, travel. So speak to anything you feel comfortable sharing with our audience today. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that, uh, I mean, there have been so fucking many. Uh, it's it's uh, it's hard to point out. I'll give one that's very personal, but that can be, I think, uh, can be related to many other situations. Mm -hmm. So I have two sons. I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And my oldest son is very, very ambitious. He's very much like me as a, as a child. One thing that uh, that I have had trouble with dealing with my son um, is that he is very talented and a lot of things come very easy to him. Like he grocks them very quickly, figures them out very quickly. But if something is difficult, he instantly loses interest because he's so talented, because he's used to being good at things. When something is hard, he's just like, ah, I don't like this. This, this, this is dumb. Like he's just judging the thing because he doesn't want to be judged himself. That always pissed me off, right? Because it like reminds me of myself. This is a weakness I've had. And the, the, the weaknesses and the the little errors that my children do, the ones that are things I'm not at peace with myself are the ones that stand most out with my children that I'm, you know, responding most emotionally around. So anytime he did that, I would like sit down and give him a speech about like hard is good and hard means you can tell <laughs> talking all this shit and and I really didn't I don't know if I had much impact with any of that but there was always something that was I, I always try to control how much it bothers me and like be very calm and talk to him but it was there and then there was one moment where um, he was doing something that he was struggling with and I was busy with something else and I was like observing him and he I, I picked up for the first time in that level of strength of realization that anytime he struggled with this this toy and it didn't work he looked up to me secretly to see if i saw it mm. and that made me realize that i make this worse like when i'm in the room it's very important to him to impress me because mm. i am hard to impress right i'm a very loving dad but i'm not a dad that showers my children with like everything they do is incredible when they do something cool, I'm like, dude, good job, man. But when they do something that's kind of okay, I'm like, oh, do you have fun? Awesome. But I'm not like, oh, everything. I'm not the biggest fan of my children in that way where I tell them everything they do is incredible. Mm. So, and, and we have a very <laughs> close relationship. So he always wants to impress me. So when I'm in the room and he, in his own mind, is not done doing something impressively, it gets even worse because I'm around. It's and it's overwhelming. It's a seven-year-old little boy. Like he doesn't know how to deal with this like um, like insecurity. So the way he deals with it is that when daddy's around and I'm bad at something, I will just lose my shit and go, This thing is dumb. I don't want this. Mm. And like he just doesn't know how to deal with it. And that made me realize I am making yeah, there might be something that he needs to learn, but me being in the room makes that worse. I'm actually part of the problem, right? I'm not me in the room influences how he feels and how he acts around things. So, and that really has helped. Like that has shifted the way I feel when feel about the situation. And just because I feel a little bit better or more relaxed, I'm a bit more um, thoughtful and mindful, a bit more kind inside. I don't even have to say things. He's gotten much better at handling this situation. Mm. And I've got a bit more sensitive towards it. And I think that that's so true for many other areas in my life. Like I have a, I've a lot of people that think I'm very important or that think that, you know, when I'm in the room, in whatever room that is, it's much of a good deal. And I might influence people to perform worse than better mm. without knowing it and without wanting it just by my presence. And although at times I don't like that idea and I'm like, I'm fucking not important. Like, why do why? It, it is a reality? I do influence people and not always to the best. Sometimes I make people nervous. Sometimes I make people like uh, not do that well because they're freaked out that I'm there. And so I, I, I've learned to be a bit kinder with mm. people, a bit more forgiving because of that. 
<laughs> I love the story. So uh, the last question for the day is, Stelly, um, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Uh, what would I tell my... So the first problem is I don't think my 20-year-old self would listen to me, mm. right? That's that's the biggest challenge because everything that I would want to tell myself, I had already heard somewhere but didn't believe or didn't want to believe. So I'm like, mm. could I really tell myself something that I would listen to? Hopefully, but I'm not I'm not really sure. But the biggest thing is really what we touched on in the beginning of the, the uh, podcast, which is, you know, just learn to get over yourself. When you don't mm-hmm. feel like doing something – Learn to just do it even while you feel bad about it. Um, if you master that, you can create so much more value in the world and you can live a much more fulfilled life. That's the hardest lesson that I had to learn during my 20s. So if I if I could tell myself that in some way that I would listen to, which I'm not sure, uh, that would have been really impactful. <laughs> Sally, thank you so much for being on the show. It was so fun talking to you today. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> My man, thank you. My honor and pleasure. <laughs> Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. Also, make sure to share the podcast and tell your friends about it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I'll see you in the next episode. Over and out. <laughs>